Hey everybody, this is Todd. Welcome to Zen Parenting Radio. In this episode of Conversations with People We Love, we interview Dr. John Duffy, who is a highly sought-after clinical psychologist, best-selling author, certified life coach, parenting and relationship expert, and he's a proud husband and father. He's been working with individuals, couples, teens, and families for nearly 20 years. Along with his clinical work, Dr. Duffy is the author of the number one best-selling book, The Available Parent, and he is the regular parenting and relationship expert on The Steve Harvey Show. In this two-part interview, Kathy and I talked to John about parenting teenagers, more specifically, suicide, connecting with your child when it seems impossible, how lecturing your kid is useless, John Hughes, and why every teenager he has ever worked with is amazing. And welcome back to uh, Zen Parenting Radio, Dr. John Duffy. This will be your second visit here, and um, Kathy, uh, he is our second guest that we've had on twice, so that makes him pretty special. Well, you want to know why we're having him on a second time? Why is that? Because everybody loved his show. I know. It so, was a good one. Dr. John Duffy is like our teenager guy. He's the expert. He's the expert. He's going to teach us everything that uh, (laughs) we are going to need for the next 10 years of our life. That's right. So people go to our website, zenparentingradio.com, and they search for whatever they're looking for, right? And they, when people put in teenagers... John's show comes up, and then we get emails about how everybody loved it. So here's the format. Um, Kathy's going to take maybe the first half, and I'm going to take the second half on just basically badgering Dr. Duffy with questions. Great. Are you up for that? I'm up for that. Let's do it. All right, good. So um, Kathy, I was about to say sweetie, but I won't. You know what? I just got an email today. I got two emails saying that they prefer sweetie. So now we're Listeners get annoyed because I use this term of affection that I can't undo, which is sweetie. So... And then we get emails saying, please stop, stop it. calling her sweetie. But yes. there are worse things, right? I mean, yeah. certainly this doesn't seem like a bad thing. That I'll just true. make sure I don't respond to it because, you know, That's I don't right. want to confuse things. <laughs> we, we promise not to call you sweetie. Yes, you are not sweetie. Fair enough. Okay. Fair enough. Um, so welcome. Sweetie, you go. Okay. So, John, I've got, as I already told you, I have a list of questions. Yes. But since you're our teenager expert, um, among other things, you do many things, but... Do you feel like you're a teenager expert? Is that kind of where you put, you know? I do. Um, yeah, I, I didn't intend to be a teenager expert. Yeah. Um, but, you know, frankly, you know, 15, 17 years ago, I started getting referrals um, and I needed to fill a practice That's and I started right. to get teenagers. And I'm like, well, OK, I'll, we'll see how it goes. I didn't picture working with teenagers. And as it turns out, it went really well. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy working with teenagers. I find it like a really hopeful process. Like you hear a lot of people say like, you know, oh, teenagers today, you know, they're very egocentric and they're ruining the language with their texts. And I don't find that. You know what I mean? Like every teenager I work with is a remarkable human being. They might not know it. You know, Mm -hmm. um, oftentimes they don't. Usually they don't. But some of the things that in every hour, something jaw dropping happens for me. You know, it might feel like an ordinary hour for that teenager, but for me, I'm kind of like, oh, that is wisdom, man. And um, yeah, so it's really, I I um, really value my time in my office sitting across from a teenager. I am, it's a privilege and, and, um, and people don't get it. And one odd thing about it is oftentimes the teenagers I know, their parents don't get to know very well. Yes. They see a very different side of their kids than I have the luxury of seeing. Yes, I so believe that. And this is not my question at all. But since you said this, I have to go into this. Sure. I was just telling Todd and a girlfriend of mine this weekend that 
there's something about high school movies for me, the good high school movies, not the, you know, crazy who's popular and right. not, you know, those can be good in their own way. But I just watched a movie over the weekend called uh, Me, Earl, and the Dying Girl. Have you heard of that movie? I've heard of that movie. And my one of my all-time favorite movies is The Perks of Being a Wallflower. And they're both books also. They're about high school students and they're about real, I think the kids you're meeting, this is who I think all teen- teenagers are, meaning they're deep and they're alive and they feel things and they wonder about things. I'm getting like tingles right now thinking about it. And that that's what you see and experience. And why don't we hear this more often? Right. You know, I, I think part of it is that it's hard being a teenager now. Yeah. You know what I mean? A, a generation ago, um, things were easier for us. We were able to get off the grid. You hang up the phone that's yes. attached to the wall, you're off the grid, right? Now, kids are never, ever really off the grid. So that buzz of anxiety is always running for them, you know? And I think that can be, it manifests in weird ways with teenagers. Teenagers are stressed out and they get anxious and they get depressed. And there's, unfortunately, they also get this kind of self-loathing thing. They judge themselves really super harshly. I mean, I used to give myself a big pass when I was 16. Right. <laughs> you know, like, well, if I ran, you know, a mile and I was in the middle of the pack and when I was, you know, I thought, well, that's not so bad. I'm in the middle of the pack. And now kids have these really high expectations and really high bars. And if they don't meet them in these objective ways, then they feel like failures, even if they're remarkable in other ways that are not so objective. Doc, where do those high expectations come from? Um, Part of it is uh, nobody's fault. Part of it is that there are more millennials than there are people my age, you know, and so they're um, angling for schools, colleges in a way that's tougher than it used to be, right? You know, so like things are more competitive than things they are were. Way more competitive than they were, right? So so they're trying to get into the few spots that are available to them and they're really stressed out. And we as parents, we get stressed out about it because we want to put that sticker that says Yale in the back of the car. And so we're pushing our kids really, really hard. And it might even be kind of Subliminal. I don't know many parents who are like, you know, boy, I'm really trying to stress out my kid. Right. But there is that constant press of, you know, like, honey, how'd you do on the math quiz today? I looked at the portal, you know, I didn't see that you handed in that one assignment. Have you talked to the teacher? You know, and we push and our anxiety becomes their anxiety in a really stealth way. So they're carrying all of it around and they're not really equipped to handle their own. Yeah. Oh, that's so true. Yeah. What? Okay. I love the way that you said that. What are the ways that parents, like, what can parents do differently? Because here's the thing, is the parents that I talk to about this, I give them something similar to what you said. Here's what's happening. Here's what the kids are experiencing. And they will say, oh, I know parents are doing that. Yeah, I just don't do that to my kid. And yet it's still happening. So something, it's like you said, it's subconscious or yeah. there's something that they're doing. So how do we help parents understand this and see this in themselves? And I'm saying this from as a parent myself, because Todd and I have to talk all the time about what did we just say to the girls and was that really our crap or their crap? We have to practice this constantly. Right. So I'm saying this not from a place of, oh, I would never do that, but I see it in myself. And so when a parent says, I never do that, I'm like, that makes me more scared that you're saying you never do. Right, right, right. A hundred percent. And uh, and I like the word practice. Yes. Because I, you know, I think we have to look at parenting as a practice, as a verb. And, and it's something I think we're always working on and we have to ask ourselves is that is that coming from me is that my ego or my fear or my judgment that is you know creating the stress and the problem in this situation or is it, or am I really acting on behalf of my kids best interests and I got to say like 
smart, loving, well-intentioned parents can fail that pretty yes. easily because we're stressed too. We're worried. We want our kids to be happy and on track. And so and so we're pressing our stress on them. And you know, to the extent that we can kind of just, you know, for lack of a nice clinical word, chill a little bit, you know what I mean? Like chill and and, and kind of consult with them and guide them and um and hear them out. You know what we what we tend to do when we're anxious, uh, no in any circumstance is talk a lot. Mm. So I usually tell parents, cut out your words. You're using too many words when you get anxious. You're guiding too much. You're pressing too hard. Listen more. Try to draw your kid out a little bit and relax because they're already stressed. They might not see it. Your C student who's just hanging out in the basement playing League of Legends that you want to strangle right. might not seem stressed, but he is. He's just... He's just smart enough and self-regulating enough to opt out, you know, but he's stressed out, you know, so you got to hear him out like, you know, and, and try to really find out, well, what's going on with you, man? Are you okay? How are things going in general with you? So you need some really, really good interactions. So you're resilient to the difficult ones. Yes. And what you just said, the kid in the basement is perfect because if you chill and you talk to your children or actually take that word out, you listen yeah. and you can kind of back up a little bit and say, tell me about what's going on or, or talk to me about your day or how are you? Nothing to do with school. Just how are you? It gives them space to come out of the basement. Right. It, I can almost that. see it visually. Yes. Yes. I mean, right. The basement or the bedroom hiding places, right? Hiding, hiding places from the world, from stress and a lot of the times from us, from right. parents, right? You know, and so, you know, right, you want to open doors. I love that. Create the space, right? You know, like when I talk about the C student, my point is always like create the space for him to find his greatness, especially if you think it's not there. That's not my, my challenge to parents is, you know, like if your C student is standing there telling you, you know, oh, I like to create beats, dad, you want to hear some of my beats? You know, the, 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 the impetus for dad is often, you know, like, no, I'd like to see you do your homework. And my press is always listen to the beats first, Love ask that. him what the deal is. What do you, what do you, what do you do this for? What do you like about it? I don't even know if I like this, but tell me about it. Yeah. Then you can talk about homework. Then you might have a little leverage. You know, like, what do you know? Like, I'm saying this as an adult to my kid. What do you know that I don't know? Will you show me how to do that? That's the stuff. Even if you're not interested in it at all, you have to step outside of your own interest level because what's at stake is your relationship with your kid. You know, one of that, that is so true. Um, One of the things that makes me a little crazy in my office is when a parent says, yeah, um, she's watching the Kardashians. I don't really like that. Or he's playing this game. I don't really like that. And so, you know, like it's really hard to connect with them. And the answer to that is always like, oh, get into what they're into. You know what I mean? Like don't get on that train and just, it'll help you understand them, Mm -hmm. you know? And, um, and you might think like, oh no, they're very vapid and they're, you know, really, um, I'm raising the wrong kind of person. But if you understood why they were watching or playing or listening to what they're listening to, It'd give you a lot of comfort as a parent. Not knowing is scarier and worse than knowing right. and being connected. Right. You create those stories in your brain. And I'll tell you, um, the Kardashians or my daughters are really into Hunger Games right mm-hmm. now. So there's a lot of conversation, repetitive conversation about the Hunger Games. But let me tell you the conversations that come out of those. You know, like, 
you know, I was, I think we talked about it on the show a few weeks ago that there was some commentary that they, you know, in the car we were talking about Hunger, Hunger Games. And they were, like, they were like, yeah, PETA, he doesn't do anything. And I was like, well, wait a second. What do you mean, P-? you know, the male character? Right. Like, what do you mean he doesn't do anything? What about this? What about this? And all of a sudden they're like, oh, wait. And it brought up the conversation of how sometimes, you know, you have the female hero, but does that make the man weak? Or can he be strong in his own ways? You know, Katniss is strong in a more masculine way. Peta is strong in a more feminine way. Can they both be strong? How could that conversation have ever come up without the Hunger Games? Imagine missing that, I right? Know. I mean, that is such gold for you guys, right? And then, now, and then now you know, like, okay, we're connected for one thing, right? We enjoyed yes. the conversation. I and my and I can see that my kid understands something about emotional intelligence and human nature, right? Yes. Without me lecturing them about emotional intelligence and human nature, which never works, which right? Doesn't but just integrate. Let it be part of their world. Yeah. Well, and oh. one one thing that I'm trying to get better at is uh, I used to refer to. All those terrible shows they watch, the Disney shows. Uh, like What's Jesse the one? and Jesse. That's and the one we don't Charlie. like a lot, right? Good night, Charlie. It's not that bad. Good luck, Charlie's okay. They're just they're they're and, Disney shows. And I refer right. to them as garbage. <laughs> <laughs> well, as I, long as there's no judgment. Yeah, right. <laughs> so as long as you're low key about it. I don't refer to them as garbage because I could see where they're like, well, if they think what I'm watching garbage is maybe they think I you know, and obviously I'm that's that's a pretty big leap to take, but just the fact that I would refer to something that they have interest in as garbage probably isn't that good of an idea. Right. Well, it, it certainly cuts off communication, right? Dad doesn't like this, so we're not going to talk to dad about this. Right. And and it might be worse than that. We're going to do this behind dad's back, mm-hmm. right? You know, it, 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 in a way, what I ask parents to do is create an alliance, right? You want to be an ally and a guide and a consultant because the alternative it's kind of a black and white thing. The alternative is you are an unaware, unwitting, lecturing enemy, mm-hmm. and and you're and you're trying to swim upstream with your kids, and you have no footing. You're either right? on their side or you're not, or you're on the other side. And the harsh part is sometimes you're on the other side. I yeah. work with a lot of parents who are in the enemy camp, un, unaware that they're in the enemy camp, wow. and they think, boy, if I just press this point home one more time, then it'll. Work. I bet she's going to do her homework. Yeah. You know, and it's like, oh no, that's you are making you are doing the opposite. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know who you become. You become every adult in every John Hughes movie. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? <laughs> you become perfect. the guy or the mom who just is clueless, doesn't get it, is telling you to be something other than what you are. And, you know, we've analyzed John Hughes on this show a lot just about I feel like, and he's passed on, I feel like he got really stunted at that time of his life. And I'm saying that in a good way and a bad way. Good that he was able to tell the story stories from the perspective of a teenager because it's going back to the teenage movies again teenagers feel it all and they're so alive and then you grow up and you just numb out as ali sheedy says your heart dies that's going to be my quote that i'm going to play later sweetie so you're stealing my thunder that's all right that's all right (laughs) um but anyway okay so we'll move on from john hughes and i'm going to ask a a little even deeper question john because um again i follow dr uh, john duffy's page which all of you should too on Facebook. And every once in a while, he posts a um, article about suicide. And I have shared them a few times and I read them and I I think they're vitally important. And what are we as parents or just people who care about our children in the world, what are we missing when it comes to suicide? Um, You know, uh, well, I'm going to share with you guys something that I I don't think I've shared on air with anybody uh, at all. I have a younger brother who committed suicide (laughs) at 34. Um, But he attempted suicide first when he was a teenager. And so I have the odd ability to look back at my own family Mm. and see like, okay, so did we do anything wrong 
Um, and I would say, you know, uh, no, I think we all um, do our best in any given circumstance. But Tom was different than the Duffies. He didn't fit the mold. We had we, There was a certain way we were supposed to be. You know what I mean? Right. We were going to go to church in Notre Dame and you, certain things were going to go a certain way. And Tom was creative mm. and Tom was, he, he pressed the buttons, he, he, he pushed the limits. Um, and, and so we did everything we could to normalize him and tamp him down. Mm. And in retrospect, you know, I wrote this book called The Available Parent. Because when I think back to the Duffy's circa 1973, we weren't very available to him. And he needed us in a different way than we were there. So I can even point to my own family and say, oh, yeah, sometimes as families, we are unwittingly culpable, right? And, and I'm not saying, you know, you moms and dads, anybody who's lost a child is to blame because, you know, blame my gosh, that would be my thing. mother, right? You know, like, and, and, I, and I certainly don't feel that way. But there are things we can do to just be present for our kids and accepting of our kids and and allowing them the space, like you said, to to find what's special and unique about them and celebrate that instead of quashing that. Um, I can't say that's true in every certain every single situation where suicide takes place, but it happens often yeah. when it does. You know, and I think as as families. If we're present and available and we're asking, you know, one thing I find with, with teenagers is, you know, whenever I work with a teenager, they can come in functioning and beaming and I'll say, so have you ever had suicidal thoughts? And sometimes the brightest, shiniest star says, oh yeah, you know, like I got a plan right now and I'm, and, and my jaw drops, you know, in some kind, and then I get this emo kid who's in the trench coat mafia who says, no, I feel pretty good. You know, <laughs> so, so one thing about it is you can't tell by looking, mm. you know, so um, I always ask and I encourage parents to ask, like if you see shifts or even if you don't in the way they behave or who they're hanging out with, instead of like drawing judgment into it, make sure they're okay because a kid can smile his way through an awful lot of pain that they don't want you to see. But if you ask and they know it's genuine, they'll tell you. It's it's kind of unbelievable because they really will. Even if they plan to do something today to harm themselves, if you ask them, they'll tell you. Nobody wants to do it. Mm. No, gosh, that's so... Well, pardon the interruption, folks. We'll get back to the interview in just a sec. But it's wondering if you ever feel overwhelmed or stressed out or just want to get a little more zen. Well, then I want to tell you about our awesome partner, Hunter Clark Fields. Hunter is a good friend of ours, and she's been practicing yoga and meditation for over 20 years, and she's offering a free 12-day mindfulness retreat, and it's virtual, so you don't have to go anywhere. So here's the deal. It starts on November 9th, and it includes guided meditations, expert interviews, community forum with other mindful mamas, an email inspiration to stay connected, and a live coaching call to answer all your questions. All you got to do is go to HunterYoga.com slash ZPR. Now, back to the interview. No, gosh, that's so... Well, that's interesting because I, you know, fast forward four years and my 12-year-old's now 16. I, can't, I, I think I do a pretty good job as a parent. And I, up until just now, I don't think I would ever ask my daughter if she would ever consider hurting herself because I wouldn't want her to think that anything was wrong, like that I thought something was wrong with her. And what you're saying is even if your kid is the most well-adjusted that you should still ask that question? I think you want, well, yeah, I think you want to check in. You want to check in with your kids and given that suicide is 
rampant yes. among kids, you know, and, and, um, you know, you could get any parent in a room. Some people are going to say, um, yeah, we saw signs that something was wrong. Some people will say, and, and I, and I worked with the family a couple of years ago and they, they said, oh God, he was, he was the brightest star in our lives. We had no idea that he ever, ever felt negative about anything. So yes, my biases err on the conservative side of this and ask the question, you know, are you okay? Have you ever thought about hurting yourself? You know, and, mm-hmm. and a lot of kids are going to say, you know, like we'll laugh at you and say, no dad, you know, and you can say, okay, yeah, I'm going to check yeah, in. Like what's, what, what's the expense? What's the cost in asking that question? Exactly. Right. And it's, it's minimal if there is any at all. Yeah. And it's kind of like, you know, it's like the way my son and I talk about sex. Sometimes I'll mm-hmm. say, all right, we're going to talk about something uncomfortable for a minute. So, you know, yeah. like get ready, la, 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 you know, yeah. <laughs> let's get ready. Yeah. We'll do it. It'll yeah. take a second and we'll move on with our lives. Right. You know what? That was the example I was going to give is Todd, when you said, you know, I just wouldn't think about these things. If I ask the question, they may think this, that's how people feel about talking about sex. I am not going to talk to my kids about this because it will give them ideas mm-hmm. versus those ideas are already there. Yeah. You are just opening that door to not only do Am I asking this question because I'm aware of it? I have felt these things too. Because as a teenager, same thing. I had an, I was just telling John how much I loved high school. I had an idyllic high school life. I still had those thoughts. Sure. Because things would get hard. Mm -hmm. And I'd think, what are the options here? And so did it ever get to, you know, it, it doesn't matter where it got. Just the fact that a thought floats through your head and to have a parent say, that's typical. That's, mm-hmm. you, there's nothing, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have, this is typical. There are some kids who say, I, like you said, I have a plan. And then there may, there may need to be more intervention. Obviously, I'm always for therapy and coaching and intervention. But just to say to a kid, that's what we did in BU with the girls. You know, they would say, yeah, sometimes I feel hatred. Normal. Sometimes I feel self-loathing. Normal. And then they're like, oh. you know, it's like let down, right? Like let down in a good way. That is, um. Somebody asked me recently, well, what's it like to do therapy with a teenager? Mm -hmm. And effectively, that's it. You listen and you create enough space in the room where that child feels comfortable saying anything, including their darkest thoughts. Mm -hmm. And you're right. The darkest thoughts aren't necessarily there permanently. But, you know, it is normal for them to feel self-loathing or hatred or, you know, like, mm, well, one thing I hear fairly frequently from kids is, I, I'm not I'm not suicidal, but I don't care if I wake up tomorrow. That's that is you know wow. perfect. Um, yes. Yeah, and um and and that doesn't you know and as parents you know obviously that raises our anxiety level quite a bit. But if we can get them to talk about well, what does that mean? What's that about? Do you think you know like the more they work it through, the better they're going to be. The more that 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 thought will heal. And Kathy, you're so right. Those thoughts are really normal for that age. You know, mm-hmm. not many kids you know, go all the way through all those adolescent years and all that physical and emotional change and not feel some of that. So what if there's somebody listening right now and they think they have a very well-adjusted 15-year-old and then they ask that question and the 15-year-old says, yeah, I I have. I feel like a lot of parents might freak out. They would jump the gun. And they'd say, I got to get you to a therapist right away. Mm -hmm. And just because you've had those thoughts doesn't absolutely mean that you need to go seek out professional help. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think you want to go into that discussion with a certain calm energy, Mm -hmm. right? You know, um, more curiosity than diagnostic, Mm -hmm. right? And if you're looking to kind of just understand, you know, like... Well, help me understand what that means calmly. Yeah. And, you know, um, knowing, like Kathy said, well, if something does come up and it feels urgent, I'll do something about it. But if not, 
I'll at least know my child better at the end of this conversation. And he or she will know, more importantly, that they can talk to me about this. Like, you know, that's really the goal of that talk is, hey, I'm available to you even for this grim stuff. You know, like, I want to hear it. You can talk to me about it anytime. And I'm not going to flip out on you. I'm just going to listen. Well, and I feel like Kathy has cultivated that relationship with our daughters. I don't think I as I'm as available as they are just because you're around them more, you're a better listener and everything else. I just growing up like when I had something really heavy, I would never think to go to my parents. Mm-hmm. I would always go to my friends. I wouldn't go to an uncle. Like it all be by my and that's my own upbringing, but like how how normal is it that a kid will go to their parents with issues? Does it happen a lot more than I think it does? It can. You know, here, here's here's the thing I've learned is in a lot of families it happens that way, um, and and we have this kind of um, broad fear that you know like oh raising teenagers is awful and they shut down on you and they get depressed and they get surly and that's just the norm and the rule. It doesn't have to be that way. If you can hold that lens of availability all the way through, then your kids will talk to you about some things, you know, not necessarily everything. And I think that it's okay to have important to have some Mm -hmm. boundary there, but you want them to be able to talk to you about some of the heavy things. A lot of kids tell me that, oh yeah, my friends talk to me about, you know, what's really heavy in their lives. And so I feel the burden of that. You know what I mean? Like that's, and and so you're the therapist, right? So they're the ones with the iPhone sitting on their bedside table, you know, and they're like, no, you can't take that away. Cause you know, my friend is in really bad shape and you know, and I I need to be there for them if if they need it. And they're not really equipped to do that very well. You know, it's a tough place to be for a kid. Yeah. Yeah. And why, you know, let's go deeper into that. Why are kids going to kids? Because there's not, there's no judgment. There is the identification of I've felt it too. There's the sense of acceptance. There's a sense of I love you no matter what. So when I say all those things, a parent would say, well, I feel that way too, but your kid's not feeling it. Yeah. Right. You're, you're emitting something different than different. that. You're emitting anxiety, right? You're, right. you know, like, don't tell me too much. I don't want to hear that you're in pain. I can't really handle that, That's you know? Right. And we want our kids to at least know we can. And, the, and uh, again, using the word I did, and John is using it again with practice, there are times when I'm talking to my girls, my anxiety comes through because I'm a human being, and three hours later when they come home from school or whatever, I will say, man, I was anxious about that this morning, and take responsibility for it. It's not about doing it perfectly. It's about acknowledging your own challenges in the pro- in the process of judgment. And then they, when they're judgmental, you know, we have three girls judgmental of each other or judgmental of us, they come back later and say in not such an adult way, but something like, I was jerky this morning. Or, you know, they have like a comment. <laughs> right. You know, kind of like acknowledging the way I felt this morning is not how I feel now. So that's something we can do too for our kids is when we become anxious, because we will. Absolutely. Acknowledge it in yourself. If you can practice something differently, do. And if you don't do well in that moment, make up for it later. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think that the, the point that it doesn't have to be perfect is critical for parents to keep in mind, right? Is, you know, you, you have this emotional bank account with your child. And if it's in the black, it's real forgiving. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like if yes. it's in the red, if it's in the red, it's, it's rocky and craggy and difficult. But if it's in the black, you can make a lot of mistakes and you can be very meta about that. Like, yes. boy, I kind of screwed that up this morning, didn't I? You yes, know? very real. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, and, you know, to your point, Todd, you know, like, boy, I can't imagine how I would talk to my daughter about some of these things. You can be very meta about that too. You can say, 
I'm going to bring something up. I, I'm not sure I'm bringing this up right, you know, yeah. but I, I want to talk to you about this yeah. thing, you be know, human because, about it. be human about yeah. it. Right, right. And uh, it gives them permission to do the same back, right? And it brings a kind of a, a more casual, less kind of like removed air to the conversation. So she's likely to be more um, open with you than she would be otherwise. So I'm going to ask you a question that I don't think there's a chance in heck you're going to be able to answer. But out of 100 kids that you're going to have, that you have in your practice or in it, whatever, how many do you wish you can grab the parents and get them in the room as opposed to the kid? Uh, 94%. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it true? I'm so glad you said that. Yeah. We're laughing at ourselves because we, we, our yeah. we all need it. Yeah. And I, I don't know. And I, Kathy worked at a children's hospital and you would say, yeah. these parents are the ones that need the help. There's nothing wrong with that little boy. Right. You oh, know? They just, you know, they're so spongy. They come in and again, I worked with younger than John did, but they would they would come in and I'd be like, this would be good for you. And and have you thought about this? And they'd be like, yeah, I'll do that. And then two weeks later, they'd cycle back. They'd be like, what again? Because they went home to something that was completely different. And so they're like, what'd she say again? Because right. I can't keep that up in an environment that's toxic. Right, right, of you course. Know? You know, and, and teenagers are spongy in their own way too. I, I can tell you, you know, like a, more than half the teenagers who come in to see me do it begrudgingly. Mm. And and oftentimes, I would say 30% of the time, now that we're talking numbers, I, I usually get the, the um, attitude of, you know, I'm here because my parents are making me come. I'm not talking to you. Right. Within an hour, you know, we're talking, you know, because they, they want to talk. Mm. They, they want to express what's going on with them, you know, and, and sometimes they can't, stop themselves once once they know okay there, there's somebody there who's really listening without an agenda yes. and without judgment right then then well i'm i'm open to, i'm going to talk to this person you know and uh and my push for parents isn't that you're doing it wrong it's hey if you can just it, it's just a, a a little correction of thinking right going in it's like just shift take, take it take the agenda out just for this conversation, you know, it doesn't mean you can never say, you know, like um, you're getting a D in math and you're like an A student. I want to talk about that. It's not you, you get that conversation, but you'll have some legs with that if you have so, a lot of conversations that are just about like, well, how are you? What, what's it, what's going on with you and your friends? You know, and and a lot of parents will come to me and say, mm, I tried the availability thing last week and, <laughs> and it didn't work. <laughs> you know your book you wrote? Yeah, it didn't work. It's it. broken. Your whole idea is broken. Um, did you ever see Good Will Hunting? Oh, yeah. Matt Damon, Robin Williams. And then there's that that extremely powerful scene where Matt Damon has his cathartic moment yes. where Robin Williams keeps on saying, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. Mm-hmm. I just think that's so powerful. And I just wonder, do you, is that like your mecca of where you want to go when you have a kid in your office? And does it happen? Um, yes. I mean, may, I think the wording is slightly different um, because it, it's not even, it's not your fault. It's, you're not who you think you are. You're mm. amazing. Wow. And if only you could see yourself the way I see you. Yes. You know what I mean? I always wish that there were behind me is my, my computer. And I always wish that there were, that the HIPAA laws weren't the way they were so that I could just record a kid and play him or her back for themselves and yes. say, explain to me why this person's awful, yeah. <laughs> you know, right. prove it to me, you know, right. because I'm not seeing it. I'm guessing you're not either, you know? Well, what's so funny is I, I believe you when you say that you think that these teenagers are amazing because they are. And it's so funny how we just kind of like pick on teenagers. Oh, like we they're just... just they just discard them because... You know why I think we do? I'm jumping in the middle of your sure. comment. Um, 
I think we do because they have things we don't have. And I don't just mean youth and looks. I'm not talking about surfacy. I'm talking about, I'm using the word again, the aliveness. They are emotional. They are attached to things. They are dreamers. Mm -hmm. And we're like, well, you numb it down Mm -hmm. because real world isn't like this. I numbed it down, so calm it down. Yeah. And I feel like it's our own negativity, our our feelings about ourselves that come through and we push it on them, like, be like me. Mm. Boy, that's really profound. You know, it, when you said, boy, they have something that we don't have, I, I, I thought you were I thought you were going technology. I yeah. thought you were going to go, but that's no, true. no, but but I think you're right. That It's kind of like that that freedom of thought, yes. right? You know, like, you know, that, that the, the world is open to me um, with all its range. You know, like, you know, I do think we get numb oftentimes as adults, as parents, and, you know, and we're in the workaday world and things become ordinary. And in our kids, we see that full range of emotion. The kids will say, you know, like, boy, you know, this is killing me, you know, and right. yet, and yet it's enviable in a way, right? You know, like, um, I had a girl say to me a week or two ago, she said, you know, like, I realize that the goal of being happy, I don't like that. That's not a formidable goal. I would rather feel everything. Mm. Mm. And there's something about that that I thought like, oh, that's beautifully healthy. profound and healthy, yeah. right? You know, like I'd rather feel, I, I, I want to feel the lows so that I can love the highs. And um, and I think sometimes that all gets compressed as we get older. Well, and so we it, maybe envy our kids that. Uh, Dan Siegel is kind of our, he's our hero. Well, he's a, he's the neurological expert, so he helps us understand and, how the brain is functioning. And what is the part of the brain? There's something about how kids feel uh, things higher and lower and, and ours get numbed out. What so is that part of the brain? So what, basically what Dan Siegel explains about the teenage brain is that, and I think it's in, it's, what's the book? Is it Brainstorm? He's written a bunch of them. Yeah. But when he talks about the teenage brain, that the dopamine yeah. is so high for teenagers that any experience is heightened beyond anything we feel as mature adults. And so this is why, Todd, when an 80s song comes on, because Todd didn't listen to pop music in the 80s. I listen to good music. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when I listen to an 80s song, and it remi- and I will say sophomore year, junior prom, this song, oh my gosh, and Todd will be like, this is the worst song ever. And I'm like, no, this song. And then if I take my 44-year-old hat and put it back on, I'm like, wait, this song's really bad. <laughs> but that experience with that song it the dopamine was and just like that's why we think that our high school love was the most incredible love we ever had because our dopamine was so high with that love yeah makes yeah, sense? yeah yeah absolutely makes sense for for teenagers everything is big and urgent yes. and and it, and it is you know like the most depressed 17 year old is so full of life you know yes. uh, and vitality you know um and and um and I, and i think you're right you know like and music is actually a great analogy because i think about you know um for some reason the the guy who pushes most parents buttons these days is kanye and 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 parents talk about Kanye the way my dad talked about Springsteen. I made you play Springsteen before yes. we got started yes. here. Uh, you know, that's a bunch of noise. This guy never went to a steel mill. I don't buy anything about this guy. Well, and, and parents say, you know, like, I think Kanye's like, you know, a, a bad guy or he's ruining the culture. And when you ask a kid who likes rap, tell me what you like. Give me give me a set of lyrics or play me uh, 30 seconds it will move you if you allow it to. You know what I mean? If you really like listen to it and and you 
understand why it means something to them and what it means to them. And you remember, because part of what you're saying, Kathy, is I remember what it felt like. You know what I mean? Even though that was a bad song, I can go back in time and I can feel that just to watch kids feel it in real time. Part of me, you know, I do get puzzled and I'll say, you know, like, well, what do you like about that? So I have... I have a, uh, you know, I have one of those Bose things in my in my office. So I'm like, you know, play me what you like about that because right. that's terrible to me. You know? yeah, right. And kids are up to that challenge, man. And yeah. it is always impressive. Like, oh, I so get it. You know? Yes. Yeah. And you hear the words through your own or the, the sound of the music through your own lens of experience. And that's exactly, oh gosh, I love talking about music in this way because I will hear a song from the 80s or 90s. I can remember what's going on and I will remember the song so vividly in the words because I was having that experience yeah. or at least I thought what they were talking about was my experience. Right. And so it it normalized me. It made me feel free. It made me feel understood. So how powerful. Now, I have another question about Kanye, though. Parents don't like Kanye because they don't like the music or they don't like what his attitude is. Because I thought you were going to go to, like, how he thinks he's grand and he's grandiose. Yes, I, th- I think and I think that's part of it. Well, and, and for a lot of people in our generation, like, that's all they know about Kanye is he's yes. grandiose. Oh, he took he took something from Taylor Swift, and I like her. You know, like, <laughs> that, that's not okay. Totally. Right? Um, right. And, 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 you know, like, and I share that bias. You know, like, part of me thinks, like, oh, yeah, he's got that, that attitude makes me crazy, you know. Um, But if you can strip that away and find out, you know, okay, so what does it mean to this person sitting across me? What is it, you know, what what does the music mean? Or what does that persona mean? Because some people like really admire that way of living, you know, and we can sit there and judge that until we understand, you know, when, once you get to understand it, it's jaw dropping, you know, because I've yet to have a teenager, you know, tell me they liked or admired somebody and it was for some vapid, pointless reason, you know, um, it, there was always meaning tied to it, you know, I, I, and I would argue that more meaning and more thoughtfulness than my friends and I Yes. used when we were kids. You know, one thing I, I find about teenagers is the the uh, common belief about them today um, that they're kind of vapid and egocentric. The opposite is true. That I think they're more thoughtful mm-hmm. than, than certainly yes. my generation was. You know, like they, and, and they're, they take care of one another and they designate drivers for real, you know? Like yeah, they, totally. They, these, real. Are, these are really thoughtful people. Well, we had Alfie Cohen. All right, so that concludes part one of our two-part interview with Dr. Duffy. Um, Hopefully you'll tune in next week where Dr. Duffy talks about how we can empower our sons in a healthy way, Brene Brown, and a healthy way to vet the boys who date your daughter. And I'll give you a hint. It does not include a shotgun over the fireplace. So hopefully tune in next week and have a good one. That's our show, friends. Thanks for listening. We hope you felt outstanding. And if you want to continue feeling this outstanding, go to zenparentingradio.com and subscribe to the podcast. You can also subscribe via iTunes. And while you're there, feel free to give us a kind review. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest. To reach us, you can send us a message at comments at zenparentingradio.com. Or you can record a voice message through our website and ask any question you want. Go to Amazon or our website to find Kathy's first two books and her most recent award-winning book, Living What You Want Your Kids to Learn, The Power of Self-Aware Parenting. You can also subscribe to her Practicing Realness blog for her most up-to-date writing. If you're interested in the tribe, the men's group that I co-facilitate, go to 
thetribemensgroup.com. We're grateful for your support and encouragement. We only ask that you give the same to yourself and the people you love most. Until next time. Thank you.